Hi, I'm Michael. I'm one of the pastors at Victory, and I'm also the missions director. As a church, we are committed to answer God's call to reach every nation. I hope this message inspires you to honor God and make disciples. Welcome, everyone, to our brand new uh, sermon series. Uh, this is the other half of the book of Isaiah. If you remember, we have tackled the first half uh, of Isaiah, and we entitled it Trustworthy. Trustworthy. Uh, the first, we've covered it the first uh, few uh, months of 2021. But for the next uh, few months, we're going to be covering the next six weeks. We are going to cover uh, the other half of the book of Isaiah, starting from chapter 40 up to 66. And, uh, and we're going to entitle it Nearness. Nearness. And it's a way of uh, seeing God's power and His word being real to us, even in times of uh, hopeless situations, just like where we are in today. And I believe the book of, of Isaiah has something to say to us today. And I want to ask you to join us as we go through this the next six weeks and enjoy what the Lord has in store for us through His word and experience God's encouragement for all of us. As we go through this and kick this off, I'd like to, for us to see where, we're, where the people are coming from. And it's just amazing. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah seem to be like the Old Testament. It speaks of God's justice and holiness. And we have seen that even in just chapter 1 of Isaiah. We see Isaiah like a lawyer explaining the holiness and the justice of God right in chapter 1. All throughout the entire 29 chapters, and we have seen part of it, not just the character of God, but including uh, the historical background of, how, uh, of, of the people of God and, and the things that they had experienced all throughout those years. And yet the second half, from chapter 40 to 66, there are around 27 chapters, and it looked like the New Testament. <laughs> there are 27 chapters or, or books in the New Testament. But this time, the tone of voice is different. It expresses the power of God and His love and care for His people. There's no, more, uh, 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 there's no more time to focus on the historical background of it because most of this... The 27 chapters have been spoken year, more than 100 years before it even came to pass. That's why there's no historical background in the second half of Isaiah because it was, the, all the words that's been spoken were spoken during the time of the Assyrian Empire when Isaiah was still alive and he has written it and he has dictated this probably uh, to different um, writers and editors who have arranged it in such a way that it would make sense when people would read it in the future. So there were editors who had written the prophetic words of Isaiah before it even came to pass. Yes, folks, there's only one author of the entire book, not first Isaiah, second or third authors, but there's only one. 
Why did I say that? Because even Jesus himself claimed Isaiah, and he would quote from Isaiah. And so if it is good enough for Jesus, quoting Isaiah in the New Testament, it's good enough for me. Having said that, now we are entering into this first chapter of the second half of Isaiah. What was the condition of the people in the second half? In chapter 29, if you remember, in chapter 29, the destruction of Jerusalem had been expected. And, and they were expecting it. That there's going to be a superpower. And it's going to be the Babylonian Empire who would finally destroy. And they didn't even know the Babylonian Empire because the only empire they knew was the Assyrian Empire. It was such a move of the Holy Spirit through the life of Isaiah to prophesy that someday there's going to be a superpower led by the Babylonian Empire who will conquer the entire Assyrian Empire. And, and, and he had been prophesying what will happen. It was anticipated in 39, but in chapter 40, it was already assumed. What was assumed? The destruction of Jerusalem. The destruction of Zion. And it, it depends on the readers already to fill in the gaps. You know, sometimes I get to talk to my wife and we, we talk about a lot of things. And there are times my wife would get into some details of things. I'm, I'm more on the general uh, perspective, big picture kind of guy. But when I talked to Judy, she would start to give details of the stories. And so sometimes I would pause in my conversation with her and say, so Judy, uh, excuse me, Judy, yes. And I would say, would you please skip that? Let's move on to what happened after that. <laughs> Why? Because, I don't know, I'm not, you know, maybe I just don't want to go through the gory details of, the, of certain bad experience or uh, gory details of some of the part of the stories, and I want to jump in. And I was trying to ask her that I already knew at least the general situation. You don't have to go through it. Let's now talk about the solutions. <laughs> That's basically how I would handle issues. And Judy would know every time I would say, okay, Judy, let's, let's move on from that story. And that seemed to be the situation in this juncture of Isaiah chapter 40. The author, let, he, he allowed the gap to be filled in by the readers. He didn't have any time to go through the gory details on how the Zion, that Zion was, was, was destroyed by this prominent empire. And so he started off with a powerful encouragement in the first verse of Isaiah. We're going to go through that right now. We're going to look at that. We have just read it, but I want to go through it again. Chapter 40, as if uh, it, it has assumed already the, the, the destruction of Jerusalem, and now they're in exile in Babylon, and now here's the word of the Lord prophesied 141 years before it happened. It's almost like a letter prepared and it can only be opened 141 years later. Well, I say I didn't know 
that it's going to be after 141 years, but nevertheless, he has already prophesied about it. I could imagine the people of God in exile in Babylon in the midst of seemingly hopeless situation. They were thinking at the back of their heads, the Lord had already canceled his covenant with us. He had left us behind. He had canceled the covenant relationship. And so therefore, they, you know, they were in despair and they're feeling abandoned. They felt like God seemed to be so far away. And he seemed not to care anymore. I could imagine the people of God in Babylon with, with, with their fist in the air and saying, Do you still care? I could imagine them with tears in their eyes and in despair and hopelessness. But I could also imagine for them remembering and opening that letter. Probably they've heard even that letter way before growing up. The 141 years I could imagine from generation to generation, their parents have been reading this passage of Isaiah to them. And they could remember, I could imagine them remembering these words. And these words were, verse 1, let's look at it right now. Comfort, comfort. My people says, your God. Think about it with me. You know, this word comfort, comfort, is not giving this word in, 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 in the original Hebrew word. This English word comfort is not giving it justice. <laughs> comfort is almost like a fussy feeling, patting a person on the back and, you know, I, let me hug you. It's more than that. That is not, that's our language today. But in 1611, when this was translated, they truly used the word comfort, which means to strengthen, to put courage into someone. That's why it's called encouragement. Or to put a steel in a person's backbone. That's how powerful this word is. Comfort, comfort. Not only that, you know what he said? My people says your God. This is a covenant talk. My people, you belong to me because I am your God. What an encouragement. Encourage, encourage my people. Says your God. This is the word of the Lord. And the tone of voice. Even in the midst of an exile situation. They were in exile. And slaves in a foreign country. And yet the Lord says. Be strengthened. Because you're my people. And I am your God. And I am going to take care of you. Now there are three metaphors. That I'd like to share with us today in light of this theme of encouragement or comfort. That the Lord is trying to say, I, for the sake of time, and I'm just going to cover the first 11 verses. There's so much to say. Chapter 40 is almost like an introduction for his entire encouragement up to chapter 55. From chapter 40 to 55, 
He has a message for them showing his motives and his means of how is he going to accomplish this. But chapter 40 is almost like an introduction for that. So folks, you're just about to hear the introduction of Isaiah to his prophetic words to God's people while they were in exile. And we're going to look at that. And he used three metaphors. We're going to look at that right now. The first one is found in verse, verse uh, uh, let's, let's start in verse 2. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her welfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned. And she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Speak tenderly. This is totally opposite of the character of God in the first 39 chapters. We're now are seeing a God who's loving and caring, tenderly speaking to his children. Amazing. Uh, the the, the war, warfare is ended. The iniqu- in, your iniquity is pardoned. Re- and, and she has received from the Lord's hand double of all her sins, the forgiveness of God, have been paid in full. What a word of encouragement. And then we see these amazing three sections spoken through these metaphors that I'm going to look at right now. First, the highway of God being made straight and smooth. That's the first metaphor I'd like to share with us. The highway of God being made straight and smooth. Starting in verse 3 to 5. And this is, this is an amazing verses. And we're going to look at that right now. Verse 3. And it says, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. Uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Take note of that. And all the flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. These three verses, 3, 4, and 5, change the perspective of the people of God all throughout centuries. All throughout centuries. Why is that? Because these three verses apparently speaks of a person. We're going to look at that as we move on. It says, it says here, the encouragement, the, the, the question that's baffling them. The question that is at the top of their head while they were in exile was, does God want to deliver us? Does God want to deliver us? In the first 11 verses, we'll answer that question. And we see here in 3, 4, and 5, God's answer to this. And basically, he was saying that when he's talking about uh, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God, every valley shall be lifted up. It's almost like the Lord is saying, The Lord is not telling the people, why don't you come to me? 
with all the valleys and the mountains and the, and the, and the rivers that you have to cross in order for you to come to me. Why didn't you come to me? The Lord didn't say that. You know what he said? I'm coming to you and I'm going to make the mountains go down low. Rough places to be plain. Because I am coming. You know what this verse is all about? It's all about a person by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the prophetic word about the Messiah. It has become so powerful that during the time of Jesus in the New Testament, a lot of the Jews had been, had been thinking about this chapter. They're so consumed about this chapter. So consumed that a man by the name of Simeon in the temple, when he was so old and gray, he had a promise from God that he'll be able to see the Messiah before he'll die. When he saw the baby, he basically Quoted from this passage of scripture, the consolation, for he has seen the consolation of Israel. Consolation is another word for comfort. Amazing. Not only that, but verse 3 was quoted by John the Baptist. Now listen with me. Here's Isaiah. He can only prophesy what will, uh, a word of encouragement to the people. Who will be in exile in a superpower apart from Assyria? And he's already sent forth words of encouragement to them. So that when they're in the midst of exile, it will be a form of encouragement to them. Not knowing that it is also speaking about the Messiah who's about to come. I don't know if you can still follow me. The camera can still follow me. <laughs> in the time of the Lord Jesus Christ and John the Baptist would even quote it. And say, I prepare the way of the Lord. That verse is actually found in, in, in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 1, verse, verse 2 to 3, and it says, It is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I sent my messenger before your face, and you will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths. Straight. Quoted again in other passages of scripture. And in, in, uh, that's in, in, I'm sorry, that was, that was in Mark chapter 1, uh, 2, and 3. But it was mentioned in Matthew chapter 3, verse 3 as well. Amazing promise that God has for us. Amazing promise that John the Baptist quoted and even Simeon. In Luke chapter 2, verse 25, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Quoted from this passage of Scripture. Amazing. And who is this? And what is this event trying to say? It's basically talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second metaphor. So in other words... Before I move on to the second metaphor, the truth behind the highway of the Lord is, yes, God wants to come to deliver us. 
That's the truth behind this highway. Yes, he's coming. And he wants to come. He wants to come to deliver us. Second metaphor is the word of God standing forever and ever. The word of God, the word of God standing forever and ever. When I look at the second section of this passage, starting in verse 6, a voice cry, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of, of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. What is he talking about here? Who is this grass that withers in the flower that fades? He might be talking about Babylon. He was just saying basically, look, you may be in a helpless city situation, but the grass withers and the flower fades. It's almost like saying, exile is not going to last. It's almost like he's saying, COVID is not going to last. Your quarantine is not going to last. Why? Because it is like Grass that withers and flowers that fades. But it can also mean us people. We will not, we, we, we're like grass that withers and flowers that fades. But I want to let you see this part of the verse. Verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The word of God will stand forever. What is he trying to say here? The truth behind the word of God standing forever, you know the truth behind it? Is basically saying that yes, we are grass, like flowers that fades, but we have taken the word of God, so therefore... We have the flavor of eternity in our hearts. We are destined for eternity. This body has an expiration date. Have you seen that app? I think I've, I had this app, uh, Pastor Alvin, I had this app. Before, way back, I think, uh, 12 years ago, uh, to determine uh, your life on earth, <laughs> depending on how, how healthy you are and the food you're taking and the exercise. And you put all the inputs there uh, about you, and the app will estimate <laughs> your lifespan. <laughs> Obviously, that app won't give you a life eternal. It will not give you an estimate of eternity. The only effective app that can provide no expiration dates is the Word of God. And it seems like we have the flavor of eternity in our hearts. I like how C.S. Lewis put it. This is one of my favorite quotes 
from C.S. Lewis, and this is what he said. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. You and I were made for another world. The flavor of eternity is right here in his promises. Babylonian empire, it's like grass and flowers that will fade. We may wither and fade like flowers and grass, but I want you to know God is a stump. Eternity in our hearts because of the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts. Amazing. And the last, I don't know about you, but I like this. I, I like this better than, than the, the, the first 39 chapters of, of Isaiah. But look, you won't be able to appreciate God's power and love without understanding God's holiness and justice in the first 39 chapters. I just want to put it out there so you won't miss. You, you don't just set aside the first 39 chapters. But the last metaphor, the last metaphor I'd like us to see is the herald of good news speaking loud and clear. The herald of good news Speaking loud and clear. I want to look at the third section of this passage, starting in verse 9. Going up to high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift up, fear not, he said. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. How can Jerusalem, who had been destroyed, how can the people of God in exile be herald of good news? We can't seem to, to comprehend God's goodness and power and care during times of pandemic. We can't seem to have a grasp of God's holiness, God's goodness. When you have just lost a loved one the last year and a half. But what is it that can make us, you and I, herald of good news? You know what the Lord is trying to say in this passage of Scripture? I want you to look at verse, verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. I want you to notice is his arm. You know, when I was, uh, when Elizabeth was growing up, she has one superhero. Not Superman, but her dad, you know why? You know why? Because I used, I used to go to the gym and she would see my, my, my arm. And I'd, sometimes I would carry her and she would climb on my arm and I would lift her, her up. 
and I would show her how powerful his dad is, right? You know, those small girls, they look at their dads and they seem that their dads are superhuman, you know? And, uh, and uh, I could imagine God was like that to his people. His arms, his arm rules for him. But I want you to look at verse 11 that will change the entire scenario. Verse 11, right now. Are you there? Verse 11. Open your Bibles. I want you to look at it right now. He will tend his flock like a shepherd, and he will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. I want you to notice that. In verse 10, it says, the arm that rules. Now in verse 11, it says, the arm that carries the young. The God that is so powerful is also the God who is so loving and caring. The same arm that he would use to lead and rule is the same arm he would use to hug and kiss. I want you to know that what this verse is trying to tell us. Herald of good news. What's the truth behind this verse? I believe the truth behind this verse is, yes, God wants to take hold of, what, of that which he has called us to be. What I'm saying here is that God is, is like, he is in the, God often says things to us when there's no possibility in the present moment of that being realized, but he wants us to take hold of it in the confidence that that's going to happen. It's like Abraham who is so old and his wife's womb was as good as dead, and yet hope against hope, he believed. The same way with the people in exile, hope against hope, we will be heralds of good news. That is the word of the Lord for us today. I like how John Chrysostom put it. He said, if you wish to leave much wealth to your children, leave them in God's care. God loves us so much that you can trust him even in the midst of a hopeless situation like where we are today. I want to leave us with this word. Be assured and comforted by God's promises even when things do not seem to align with our expectations of things. Be assured and be comforted because God is in charge. There were a lot of people who would say, Never doubt in the dark. What God has given you, what God has told you, what God has shown you in the light. That is my prayer for all of us today. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for showing us through your word. In the first 11 verses of chapter 40 of Isaiah, you've already assured us in our hearts that you 
will deliver, that you are capable of delivering. And Lord, today, I pray for each one listening to this message, that each and every one of us will be comforted to know that you are truly is able to save us. And you've even prepared a word way back the way you have prepared a word for the exile in Babylon, hundreds, more, more than a hundred years before it, 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 before they, Lord God, realized about that word of prophecy. Lord, you love us so much. Lord, I pray for those who are in different situation right now. Meet them, Lord, just as you have said, that you will, you will Lord, prepare a highway for them so that, Lord, we cannot afford to come to you, but you have decided to come to us. We cannot afford to love you, but you have loved us first. That you have come from heaven to earth and died and provided a way for us to be reconciled to you. You have planned it before the foundations of the world and you have done it by sending your son on the cross 2,000 years ago. Now we can have hope and we can say that truly you are near us. You are our Emmanuel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. You can visit victory.org.ph to find a church, join a victory group, and give online. Thank you for partnering with us in discipling the city, the nation, and the world through your generosity. For more messages like this, you can subscribe to this podcast through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts.